0: In this episode I talk to Melissa Collett, a former senior figure at the Financial Ombudsman Service, the FOS. We talk about how to learn from customer complaints and how to turn unhappy customers into advocates. Welcome to episode 107 of the Marketing and Finance Podcast.
1: This is the podcast for ideas and inspiration on marketing your business and growing your business, and for discussing topics on all things finance. And now here's your host, Roger Edwards.
0: Hey folks, thanks for downloading or streaming the show. I appreciate you being here and plugging me and my guests into your earphones. As always, I'm Roger Edwards, a marketing guy from Edinburgh. I can help you keep your marketing simple, whether it's strategy, content, or social media. And talking about social media, I heard about another company today that requires every tweet they send out to be signed off by marketing and compliance. Seriously, I can't believe this. If you're doing this, you just don't get what social media is about. Please go back and listen to episode 83 of the podcast for some tips on how to move on from this. If you fancy a free 30-minute Skype call to chat about your business ambitions and how I might help you, please do get in touch. So let's get into today's interview with that ex-ombudsman. We're going to chat about how the financial ombudsman service works, the mistakes product providers continuously make when dealing with customer complaints, treating customers as real people rather than simply names and notes on a file, and how to turn unhappy customers into happy advocates. Melissa Collett is a consultant and independent legal professional who specializes in resolving complaints. She's also a tribunal judge chairing hearings of appeals about health and disability issues. A senior Ombudsman at the Financial Ombudsman Service before 2016 she made over 1500 legally binding decisions across the whole range of insurance products. Melissa liaised between the FOSS and the regulators such as the FCA and with trade organisations. A regular speaker at events, Melissa continues to write about customer insurance topics. As a consultant, she works with client companies on complaints handling. So let's get right into that interview with Melissa here on the Marketing and Finance podcast. Melissa, welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast.
2: Thanks, Roger. Good to be here.
0: Melissa, where are we Skyping each other from today? Of course, I'm in Edinburgh, as always.
2: Yeah, I'm right here in central London. Uh, I live in the city, and I'm looking out of my window onto all the uh, skyscrapers all around the, uh, the financial district. I
0: saw some tweets this morning that suggested London was very, very misty and very, very foggy, so a little bit spooky for Halloween, I think.
2: I think so, Roger, yeah.
0: (laughs) Melissa, we've known each other for quite a number of years. And of course, at one point, you were working for the Financial Ombudsman Service. And it's going to be really fascinating to talk to you a little bit about your experiences with the Financial Ombudsman Service and some of the lessons that you've learned from being a Financial Services Ombudsman. But before we get to that, why don't you tell everyone who's listening to the podcast, what makes Melissa Collette tick? As
2: I said, I'm sitting here in my... um In my flat, looking around me at the city. Um, But originally, I was um, from New York, Mm -hmm. as you can probably tell by my accent. Yeah. And uh, I came over here quite a few years ago now to study. And I basically built my whole career here. So I'm a lot more British now than I am American, Mm -hmm. despite the accent.
0: And how how did you manage to find your way into the Financial Ombudsman Service?
2: Yeah, so I started out my career as a lawyer, and I was an insurance lawyer specializing in insurance disputes and also regulation.
3: Mm-hmm. So it
2: actually was quite a natural fit for me to then move into the ombudsman service to work as an insurance ombudsman. And when I was there, I basically covered the whole gamut of insurance disputes right across the retail uh, sector, and also micro-enterprises, so sort of small and medium-sized enterprise, um, commercial insurance as well.
0: So really we're talking about investments, we're talking about pensions, critical illness, life insurance, income protection, travel insurance, private medical insurance, health cash, all of the, everything really.
2: Everything really, but I take off a couple of those. Uh, the investment in pensions uh, were dealt with um, by others. Okay. But anything to do with insurance, uh, I dealt with that.
0: And just for the people who are listening to the podcast who perhaps don't know what the financial ombudsman is, and I'm sure that there aren't that many of them listening to the podcast who don't know what the financial ombudsman is, but just give me a quick overview as to what the ombudsman's there to do. Sure.
2: So um, the ombudsman service is there to resolve any dispute you have with the financial services provider. Mm-hmm. And it's disputes between consumers and their providers or between small micro enterprises and their providers. And so it covers all regulated financial services. So investment, pensions, banking, and of course, insurance, which Mm. is my area of expertise.
0: And of course, there's a process that people have to go through, isn't there? So I don't know. Imagine that there's a a declined protection claim and somebody wants to make a complaint. They've got to go through the complaints process at the insurance company first, haven't they? And if they're not happy with that, then eventually they can take it to the Financial Ombudsman Service. Is that how it works?
2: That's right, Roger. And so the whole idea is to get the – to really try and help the parties resolve the complaint themselves Mm – uh, to avoid it being escalated to the financial ombudsman, because the the ombudsman's an independent body, and you know it's 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 kind of like an alternative to the courts. Mm-hmm. But it's it's not ideal to have every single complaint being referred straight away over to the ombudsman without giving giving time. Most complaints can be resolved. Between the provider and the consumer themselves,
0: and obviously, I used to work for um, a big protection provider, and of course, over the course of my career, I did come into contact with the ombudsman on a few occasions. Sometimes, Lucky you, yeah, um, sometimes when claims have been turned down, sometimes for other reasons, and and so I I, I understand the process, and, and and obviously from a consumer point of view, it's a it is a good process. The industry can learn from the resolution. To some of those complaints. But there are a few things I'd like to ask you, Melissa, if that's okay. Obviously, you worked for the Ombudsman for over 11 years and obviously dealt with, I think you said to me before we started recording, 1,500 decisions um, you were involved with over the course of your career there. Do you think the and let's talk about the protection industry in particular. Do you think that the industry has learned a lot of lessons over that period that you were in the ombudsman seat, as it were?
2: Yeah, so part of my role, apart from making decisions, but was also to do a lot of the external relations side of things and go out and talk to different insurance companies and brokers and conferences and so on uh, about how to learn lessons from complaints. hmm and sharing the insight that huge amounts of rich data um, and information gained from handling all these complaints right across the, the whole insurance sector. So that was a big part of my role and one I took very, very seriously. Mm-hmm. And obviously there were there was a lot of impact because over the course of my career with the Ombudsman, the law around insurance changed. Mm-hmm. And a big part of that was because Of the law catching up with what the ombudsman's approach was. And that was particularly around uh, disclosure Mm -hmm. in insurance. So there have been really pretty significant changes while I was working there. But at the same time, I would say, Roger, that a lot of the the same mistakes keep getting made. Mm -hmm. And this is really deeply disappointing, particularly for someone like me who goes out and talks to people and tries to be, or in my career, tried to be, as, as open and, 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 and as accessible as possible, what's the point in a dispute being escalated when it can be resolved fairly for the first time?
0: And could you perhaps give us an example of some of the mistakes you think companies are still making, obviously without naming any names?
2: It's really basic stuff, Roger. Mm-hmm. Um, and This is what's disappointing about it. Um, Things as simple as just not explaining to the customer why a claim has been declined. Mm -hmm. Just giving, you know, a one-liner. Sorry, your your claim doesn't meet our criteria. It's not covered by the terms and conditions. That's it. Not picking up the phone. And when the customer complains, not just handing it straight over to the ombudsman without, you know, just going through the motions and not really trying to, to resolve that complaint there and then and not attempting to turn something that's a negative experience for the customer, into a positive one by mm-hmm. really giving a lot of information, explaining the options, and get, taking that extra step, uh, going that extra mile for the customer who's raised an issue with you.
0: And do you think there's still an element of small print getting in the way here? This has been, this has been one of my bugbears that I've had throughout my entire career, is you have a, a, a set of wordings in your policy And there will always be that discussion at insurance corporate level. We can't pay this claim because these words say we can't. It almost then becomes a, we've got to prove that we're right. And sometimes you look at this and you say, well, come on, the spirit of this policy says that we should pay this, even if the words give us an excuse not to. Do you think there's still that sort of thing going on, Melissa?
2: Oh, yeah, all the time, Roger. Mm, mm. And, you know, as a someone with a legal background, you know, I, I, I respect the terms of the contract mm. and I and I completely understand, you know, on the one hand, why insurers, you know, develop policies and they that that's what's covered and they want to make sure that, that that's what um, claims are paid and that's mm. fair to everyone. So mm. I completely understand that way of thinking. But you know, n- no matter how good a draftsman you are, I think you're never gonna come up with, with wording that's gonna cover every single situation. And I've seen some really weird and wonderful ones <laughs> while I was at the Ombudsman. Some of the, some of the situations people get into, interesting, a lot of interesting ones in travel insurance, um, the stuff people get, get up to when they're abroad, yeah. <laughs> you
3: really
2: would be shocked by. But so in those situations, it, it the policy doesn't really cover the situation. It doesn't really not cover the situation. So it's really important for insurers to be a bit creative and a, and think a little bit about, as you said earlier when we were chatting about this, the spirit of the policy. What is it designed to cover? Mm. What are customers' expectations of the cover? Okay.
0: And do you think that some insurance companies financial services providers might be scared of setting a precedent so oh we can't go against the wording in the policy because if we do that we'll then have to review every single claim we've ever made and and we really don't want to do that is there an element of fear that by attempting to do the right thing for one customer they may well find that they have to review whether they've done the right thing for all customers
2: yeah and I completely understand that that concern and um You know, I think that's one of the big reasons why it's important for companies to try and get things right first time Mm. and not let complaints escalate Mm. and and set a precedent um, for future complaints. Um, But but there's a lot of situations that I've seen that are pretty bespoke that are not situations that are going to arise again yes and that's where some you know common sense thinking can really just put a put a stop to it from going any further and and save the company money in the process because one of the things that that i really think it's important to highlight um in my new role as a consultant is how much complaints cost yes i mean there is this there's some obvious costs of complaints but there are loads of hidden costs and complaints that people don't even know about i was speaking at a conference just um, a couple of weeks ago and i was i was uh, trying to highlight how it's not just a case fee if a complaint's get referred to the ombudsman but there's also interest on any award there's mm-hmm. distress and inconvenience compensation there's the management time involved in in dealing with the complaint which can be considerable
3: mm-hmm.
2: there's the, obviously the loss of business of that customer and then finally you know there's the hidden costs of, 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 of future complaints being you know a, setting a precedent for future complaints so all of these costs really mount up and even if a company has 50 to 100 complaints over the course of a year you, you can really quantify these costs and it can add up to hundreds and thousands of pounds
0: that's really interesting um, to think about that. And and again, I guess that if you've got one particular case, and that might be being handled by a particular claims person within a particular insurance company, and it's being handled by an ombudsman within the financial ombudsman service, it'd be quite easy, I suppose, to be sucked into that individual case and to focus on it in isolation. And what they should, really should be doing is thinking, no, 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 this is one of maybe quite a few and it, and as you say the costs across the whole book and across the whole business can add up and what they really need to do is to think about the individual claim in the in the the broader scheme of the entire company's reputation and the company's philosophy and the company's brand, I suppose, um, rather than just saying, we need to win this case because it doesn't meet the terms of the um, definition or for whatever reason, is to actually think about it in the bigger picture.
2: That's absolutely right, Roger. And that's Mm. exactly the kind of service that that I can offer Mm -hmm. to companies, to intermediaries, to anyone really. Who's got complaints? Um, I can look at those complaints and review them, and make sure things are not escalating unnecessarily. And ultimately, identify those systemic issues mm-hmm. that go actually. It goes beyond just the claims process. It can go right back to the beginning, to the application stage, and identify those issues that are leading to customer dissatisfaction and ultimately complaints, and all, ultimately all these hidden costs. My whole proposition really is to save clients time and money on handling complaints.
0: So, Melissa, you left the Financial Ombudsman Service to set up your own business to help companies to learn from complaint. What made you decide to make that move?
2: Yeah, so, Roger, I've been dealing with insurance complaints for over 11 years, and I thought it it was a really good time for me to get out there in the market and to share that insight with the insurance industry and Mm -hmm. and really get involved in working directly with insurers and intermediaries to help them learn from complaints.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: I think it's a great idea, Melissa. And I do think that a lot of people out there are going to be able to learn from the experiences you had at the financial ombudsman service and in fact they probably don't need to be scared of you anymore if that's if that doesn't seem like a silly thing to say what sort of challenges have you faced then moving out of the ombudsman service to setting up your own business
2: yeah the challenge i think one of the challenges is to convince people that uh, i'm no longer an, an independent ombudsman i'm off the fence now and i'm i'm ready to help them to handle their complaints and improve customer service and, and raise standards. And I'm, I know all about what causes complaints. I've seen it all over the years. I've seen their complaints record and I've seen other um, companies' complaints records. So I know, I, know, I know what their competitors' complaints handling is like. So I think I can really make a difference to help them get an edge over those competitors and really raise standards.
0: That's quite interesting, of course, because you will have experienced the complaints processes of pretty much every financial services provider. You'll be able to see what works, what doesn't work. You'll almost be able to see what the perfect customer experience would be like in a, in that in that complaints process. I imagine.
2: Well, obviously, it, you know, nobody's perfect, mm. but I, I've definitely seen examples of good practice and bad practice, and I and I can help help companies who want to be um, leaders in demonstrating good practice.
0: I mean you've, you've, you've only been doing this for uh, a little while but what's worked well since you've become an independent consultant and what maybe hasn't worked so well and, and how have you had to modify your approach to compensate?
2: Roger it's still early days So I've only left the ombudsman service seven months ago, Mm -hmm. but so far, actually, there's been incredible interest from the insurance industry Mm -hmm. and also from other consultancies Mm -hmm. who offer complimentary services Mm -hmm. to the industry. And, And I think the interest is there is because, you know, it's a unique service that I'm offering and it would be really incredibly valuable for anybody who has to deal with complaints. And let's face it, everybody has complaints. If, even if I help prevent one complaint from escalating, then that would save clients money.
0: What would be the process then that you would take a client through? So imagine I'm a small, um, either advisor firm or a small product provider. I've invited Melissa Colette into the um, building. What is the process that you're going to take me through?
2: Well, in essence, it's a bespoke service. So mm-hmm. there's no one process. It all depends on what the client client wants. Mm-hmm. But as an example... I can come in, speak to management, give a free complaint seminar to their teams, give them top tips about how to deal with the ombudsman service and how to handle complaints. And then I can discuss their needs with them mm-hmm. and build a um, a service around their needs. And some of the things that I can do is, for example, review their live complaints workload um, so see what's being escalated through and identify the cases that actually should have been resolved um, without further escalation. I could spot the weak cases, the strong ones, and all the s- systemic issues mm-hmm. that run right the way through the process.
0: One of the the biggest things that I learned when I was um, working within big corporate is – if you have a complaint and it doesn't matter whether it's somebody just moaning about the the um the color of your brochure or it's a you know really really difficult claims case that may be um, on the verge of being declined is that complaints give you an opportunity to turn people who at that mo- moment in time Probably don't like you very much and you can actually turn them round by giving them great service so that they almost become advocates of what you're doing Would I couldn't
2: you- agree more Roger I think I know complaints are tough for people to handle but I think you can really turn them into an opportunity mm. to show great customer service and really that customer then becomes a, a really loyal customer if you treat them well at that sort of difficult point mm-hmm. in your relationship, mm-hmm. you've got loads and loads of people, have got loads and loads of customers that they never engage with. Yeah. So this is actually a complaint is an opportunity to engage. And that's what companies want to do much more of nowadays, you know, in this world where everybody's engaging all the time on yeah. social media. This is an opportunity to engage. And so it can, I think it can really be Turned around from a from a negative into a positive with a few simple steps and i and I've highlighted this in some of the talks I've been giving at conferences recently
3: mm-hmm.
2: and I'd be more than happy to come in and talk to any business that's interested to explain how these customer complaints can be turned into a positive experience for the customer
0: I think that reminds me very much of a lesson that I learned very early on in my career and Again, when you're dealing with a big complaint, sometimes you can become immersed within the detail and what you have in front of you is a policy file and that policy file may may have hundreds of notes on it and, you know, this person said this and that other person said that and sometimes you can forget that you are actually engaging with an individual. And I actually remember going to visit a policyholder who'd had a declined claim and to cut a long story short, the claim ended up getting paid. It didn't go to the, um, it didn't go to the ombudsman and the claim was paid. But I did visit the client in their own home almost to apologise for the the process that they'd been through. And what struck me when I walked into that person's home was how normal everything was. You know, she was baking bread, so the house smelt really cosy. There was a big cat lying in front of a real fire. And I suddenly realised, up until this moment, everybody within the company was looking at a policy file and was looking at a load of notes. Now I was looking at a real person with a real life and real financial difficulties and, and aspirations. And from that moment on, I always tried to encourage everybody at any level dealing with claims to always have it in their mind when they were dealing with those individuals to try and picture what that individual's real circumstances were like I guess nowadays you'd call it an avatar wouldn't you You'd create an image in your mind of what those people's real lives were about and focus on that and once you do that then you can start to engage with people a lot better because you're engaging with a real person rather than just a name and a load of notes in a file
2: I think that's a fabulous lesson, Roger, and one that really a lot of insurers um, should take heed of because too often we see files where nobody's even ever picked up the phone to the Mm -hmm. customer. Mm -hmm. And yet they've had a a, a really substantial claim declined and they're in distress.
3: Yeah, yeah. So
2: it's sometimes it's really basic stuff. That can make all the difference.
0: So we've got basic stuff, but what would you say was the one big idea that you'd like those people who are listening to the Marketing and Finance podcast today to take away from the experiences you had at the Ombudsman Service, but also the experience you've had setting up your own consultancy?
2: Sure, I would say complaints cost money. Mm. And if you want to save your business time and money, then it's really important (laughs) to get some expertise in order to help you prevent complaints from arising in the first place.
0: And of course, you can provide that expertise. That's what you're saying.
2: Well, you know, that's that's why... I, and I'm passionate about this, Roger. Mm-hmm, I mean, this mm-hmm. is not... This is all about really taking all that I've learned over the years and trying to give back into the industry some of this expertise and some of this experience and knowledge that I gained to help it make a really win-win situation for them and for their customers.
0: I think ultimately the whole industry wants to interact better with customers. And I do think that the industry has made massive, massive progress over the last 10 years. You know, We've seen many more protection claims paid, but there's still work that we can do to improve the perceptions that people have of the insurance industry. And you're doing a really good job now to bring your expertise from the financial ombudsman into the, the greater market as a whole. Obviously, you've been in the industry for a while and like anybody, you're probably looking around all the time at what other industries are doing or what this marketing campaign over here says or or whatever it might be. I always like to ask people who come on the podcast if they've seen a business model or a product or a campaign that's really caught their attention in the last year. And just tell me what you thought about it, tell you what you liked about it, tell you what you learned from it.
2: Well, Roger, for me, I think it has to be the uh, Seven Families campaign. mm mm-hmm. Um, which is a campaign in the protection industry, uh, set up by uh, Karen Lloyd with, with help from other people like Kevin Carr and Roy McLaughlin, and where they took seven families who had illness and disability, and they highlighted their stories, and how benefits like income protection insurance could really help them and benefit them. And this really makes brings a human face like you were saying earlier to all those um claim files um where people lose sight of real the real importance of insurance and i and i think for me this was like really groundbreaking
0: work i think seven families is absolutely fantastic again it's a perfect example of a campaign which is not promotional It's not aiming to sell, sell, sell or promote, promote, promote. It's purely about telling real stories about real people and how their lives could be benefited from a financial services product. And I think that that focus on the real people, just like I was explaining before about the lady and her cat in front of the fire and the the bread baking in the kitchen, it's about real people. And when you make it about real people, when you tell stories about real people, I just think it gels so much more than some of the more overtly promotional stuff we've been doing in the past.
2: And I think that seeing the, the customers as real people really helps um, make companies deliver great customer service, which is exactly what my consultancy is setting out to help companies to do.
0: Is there a, is there a business book that you've read recently or, or what is actually the best business book that you've ever read? Tell us what that is and, and what you took from it.
2: Well, I've, I've read a few books over the years, Roger. Yeah. And, um, I can't remember all of them, but I do remember reading a really good one this year, which is called Crash Course, okay. One Year to Become a Great Leader of a Great Company. And the great thing about this book Is It's got these short chapters that give you a useful business lesson for every week of the year. Okay. So you just read a few pages a week, and and each week it gives you this um, kind of a story um, of something that happened to the author in business life and, and, and lessons you can learn from it. And it's really fantastic. It's actually written by a friend of mine, Bernie Balkin, who was a scientist and a senior executive at BP. But you know, his lessons are relevant to anyone in, in any industry. And and I, I, I found the book so so fascinating that I didn't I didn't do it, uh, read it how it was supposed to be read once a week. I just read the whole book at one
0: in one go. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's that good. So but, but it's, yeah, a, it's a, recommended.
0: But it's a good idea. I mean you can if you want to consume it one little chunk at a time, one lesson a week for a year, that's fine. If you wanna blitz it. All in one go. That's fine, too. I love books like that, because the great thing about them is you can go back to them, can't you, and dip in and out.
2: Yeah, and I'm really glad you asked me this question, because now I've got this book out, and I'm going to read it again. (laughs) So thanks a lot for that.
0: No problem. Melissa, I'm sure there are lots of people who are listening to the podcast who want to benefit from all your experience, they want to take the experience you um, had at the Financial Services Ombudsman and the experience you're now offering to companies to help them with their complaints processes. So what is the best way that people should get in touch with you?
2: Well, the best way to reach me is to just look me up on LinkedIn. And you just type in Melissa Collett, two L's and Collett, two T's. um, And you'll come up with my name and my profile on LinkedIn, and you can message me through LinkedIn. Um, you can find out all about the services I offer up there. And it doesn't matter if you're um, on LinkedIn or not, because it's a public profile, so anybody can see it. So that's the best way to get in touch. And I, I should add, it will shortly have a link to this podcast as well.
0: Melissa, it's been great to talk to you this morning. I really enjoyed all your insights about how we can benefit from your experience, how we can turn around the fortunes of a company by focusing on the way we handle consumer complaints how we how we focus on the consumers as real people as opposed to policy files so thanks for coming on the podcast and i'm sure we'll bump into each other at another conference in the near future probably on the same podium
2: (laughs) yeah great roger i look forward to it
1: thanks for listening to the marketing and finance podcast Do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MAF for links to the topics, apps, and books we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. If you are a business person, financial services professional, or journalist, and have a marketing or finance story to tell, please get in touch. You could be the next guest on the show. And do remember, nothing we talk about on the show is financial advice of any kind. It's just thoughts and opinions, okay? Okay.